1: is your host Darren Hood. Thank you for taking the time to join me once again on today. And as always a very special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. We are continuing in the new series where we're looking at the landscape of jobs in the world of UX, whether it's hiring, whether it's building teams, whether it's trying to find a job. There are so many things so many angles, so many perspectives that that people should be aware of when it involves finding jobs or just operating from a job perspective in the U.S. world that I thought, you know, it'd be a great idea to to tackle this, but I didn't want to do it alone. I think that it is important to, to have a diverse set of, of perspectives on this because we're trying to look at it from a broad perspective, so to try to do this by myself, I think, would be unethical. So for that reason, we had Mark Majors on with us last week. And today we have another guest. And as usual, I'm going to have that guest introduce herself, uh, but I'll say my little two cents here first. Uh, Today with me, I have Michelle Packron, who is the head of UX design at the agency Chai One. Uh, She is a leader in the industry. She is knowledgeable about UX. She has a passion for UX. You know how I am about the people that come on this show. You got to care about the discipline. You can't be selfish. You got. It, it's all about UX, folks. When we're long gone, let the things that we've said still stand as, as standards that people can use and vault the discipline forward and and bring the honor and recognition to the discipline and represent the discipline the way that it should. Michelle is one of those people. So that's my two cents. Let me have Michelle come in here and tell you who she is from her perspective. And then we're going to dive into the topics for this set. Michelle.
0: Hello, Darren. (laughs) Uh, Hi, I'm Michelle. Um, I have been in this UX digital world for 23 years now And I've kind of came up the way a lot of people did. Old school started. I went to school for graphic design, became a web designer, and then just started layering the skills. And then when UX became a thing, I was like, I do this already. So I was like, cool, (laughs) now I'm a UX lady. And then just rolled into that. And so I've been exclusively UX uh, from probably 2014. And just recently, I, for the first time in my career, which is kind of nuts, became an actual manager of people, of human people. And uh, so that's what I'm doing now. Head of UX design at an agency and um, I'm loving it. So that's my story.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love, I already know we've been talking a little bit before the, before we came on the air here. uh, So I already know some of the things that we're going to be covering. I'm excited to talk about these subjects. I know we're going to go way off the beaten path from what I've got in front of me here, but that's good too, because part of the reason, or part of the goal, I should say, in in us doing this is that there are so many things that can be covered on this topic. uh, I'm not worried about the order in which we do it. I I just want to just spread our wings from a breadth perspective and touch on as much as we can to give people something to think about that will stick to their cognitive ribs, if you will, so everybody can be vaulted forward. Because people are making a lot of assumptions about getting jobs in UX. We've got a lot of people that are running UX teams that really aren't frankly aren't qualified. And 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 when you take all these dynamics, throw into it, uh, the leaders that don't understand what UX is. Now we've got this problem in in academia where the people that are educating the, U fol- the UX folks don't know what UX is, and they're making claims and doing all types of things that shouldn't be done. It's wild, and and poor expectations are being set, accurate expectations are being set. We want to help right that ship. And so for that reason, we've got some topics that we're going to cover today and these various topics will of course give you different perspectives and then you can take these and apply it as as needed in the arena where you operate and you should be better for it. So that's it. Let's dive in topic number 1 that that we wanted to get into today. Uh Michelle was telling me about how she was uh going through a bunch of resumes. She was going through the standard hiring process. And she said that it was a big stack of resumes. It was, I remember I always talk about the stack of 300. That was, that was my own almost 400.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's people don't understand what's happening at that level. And I tell people, I told some people recently, I said, you're entering a discipline that requires empathy. Yeah. Do you think it would be, and I meant this rhetorically and they got it, do you think that it would be to your benefit if you would empathize? with the hiring managers and the recruiters that you're dealing with. Understand from their perspective what's going on because the more you do, then the better of a position you should be in when it comes to you trying to find a job. You understand how they think. You know what they're looking for, things of that nature. Put that UX your job search process. UX it. And so let's hear about some of these resume review stories that you have, Michelle. Oh.
0: Yeah, so I we recently were starting an internship program, which we're really excited about. And I was like, well, I'll post on LinkedIn. Let's see if we get a few people. And Uh-oh. apparently, like, oh my goodness, <laughs> within three days, the post went cuckoo. I had four hundred applicants just for because we we have two. We're hiring for two for the UX design and two for our behavioral science. Okay. Internship. 400 just for mine. And I was like, oh my God. And I was going to have one of my leads do most of the interviewing. And I was like, I can't make her do this. Like, (laughs) go through all of this. That's just terrible. So I spent the weekend like, I'm going to cull and just try to find the best ones for Mm -hmm. her. And, you know, what I want people to get and understand right away is not every company uses those ATS systems. Smaller companies like mine, it is a real human being like me who is reviewing every single resume. (laughs) And if you are like, and we said straight up, you have to be in the U.S. It's it's because we're a small company and how payments work. Sorry, I feel bad for people in other countries, but this is the way it is and I can't change it if you ignore basic stuff like that and you're in India and China, it it wastes my time because I have to sit there, download the resume, look Mm -hmm. at it and go, you are not in this country. Right. So I just wasted how many seconds on someone who I can't even hire at all. Right. Yeah. That happened way too much. So it's like, have some empathy for me. If you are not in my country,
1: (laughs) yes, don't
0: DM me and go, I, someone said that I didn't have empathy, didn't have empathy because I wasn't hiring for people in other countries. And I'm like, we're in the U.S. This is an internship where we're training you, right? It, this is people are going to be training you virtually online. You need to be awake when we are, baby. If you're, if it's like two in the morning when it's two for us, that's a problem. You're not going to wake up in the middle of the night, right? For us to train with you, so there's that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I just thought it was ridiculous. It's like. The people yes. who are hiring, we often don't get to make all the decisions in the world. I can't help that we are an American company. We are small. We have rules about and limitations regarding who we can hire for full-time mm-hmm. positions. If we hire for a full-time position, you must be in the U.S., period. Sorry. If I'm hiring for an internship, you must be here. It's just, it's just the way it is. Um, so I thought that was interesting that apparently I was a big meanie head. Um, so yeah, that did not impress me. The people who, who DM'd me and were like blatantly ignoring the thing and then mad at me because mm-hmm. I, I'm like, companies don't exist to give you jobs. Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, uh, gosh, what was I talking about? <laughs> yes, yeah, so the real person and I'm the real person. And so please... Follow the instructions. I know that there are a lot of job descriptions out there that are just crazy because they come out of the ether of stupid and they have ridiculous, (laughs) like 15 years of Figma. I know that there are crazy people out there writing (laughs) stupid job descriptions. I tried really hard to write a job description that wasn't cuckoo and that actually like, you know, had realistic expectations. I didn't care what software you do. uh, Cause I was like, I don't care if they use sketch or Figma, whatever we use, they're going to figure it out in 10 seconds. It's just software, man. I'm not concerned about stuff like that. You know, so I was very specific to, to not put crazy job descriptions out there. Right. Uh, So I think what because there are so many of those crazy job descriptions out there, people have this idea that, oh, if you're just like 50% qualified, just apply. Maybe that makes sense for these larger companies where you know you've got like multiple layers of Mm -hmm. recruiters and stuff like that who are basically messing with the job descriptions. But do a little research on the companies that you are going to apply to. And when you see it's a smaller company, most more than likely... A real human being wrote that job description, a real human being is reviewing that yep. uh, resume. So try to be qualified, right? And especially in stuff like internships where you know there's going to be a huge amount of people. What that means for me is that I have to do a culling. I have to find people who straight up are not qualified and I was really nice. Most of the internships, I did my research. They, they didn't let people from boot camps in. You straight up had to be in a university program. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be that person. I have two people on my team right now who came from boot camps, and they're great. So I'm not one of those people who thinks that just because you went to a boot camp that you can't possibly do UX. Mm-hmm. I still don't like boot camps. I don't. Right. Uh, but I like the people. Who go to them because I know that they just want to get in UX and they they want to learn. So I'm looking for people who are willing to learn and who are willing to grow. So I don't care if you went to a boot camp. So I said, hey, all you have to have done is you have to have completed a comprehensive boot camp, not a six-week bony thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> a boot camp, right? Or or be in like your junior year of a degree program, right? So I, I tried to be really open about the requirements, but it was so many people. And I was trying to explain to people, I, I can't communicate to everybody. I had people DMing me asking me all kinds of questions. I was like, please, if you've got a question, ask it in the thread so I can answer it once right. instead of 400 times, <laughs> and Still get people, you know, and it's just like, you've got to realize I'm getting bombarded. Right. Right. I'm in meetings 17 hours a day. I'm making that up, but yeah, I'm pretty much all day long. I'm in meetings. Yeah, I, I've, I've got I've got employees. I've got to do with. I've got projects and everything else. I don't have time to sit there and reply to constant DMs asking the same questions about a job. Do your research before you do you, you apply to a job. Go look at the company. Find out what size they are. Get a sense for you know is it going to be an ATS system or is it a real person? See what those requirements are and follow the directions. Yes. Because that was the first thing I was looking for is people who didn't follow directions. Bye, <laughs> bye, bye. Cuz I had to do a culling and it wasn't yep. me being mean. It was 400 people. I can't possibly have my lead who needs to be billable, right? Spend all that time interviewing people. So I did this culling for her. So that was an experience. Some of the things I found were some commonalities and maybe these things are coming up from boot camps or what. But most of the resumes looked identical. Ooh, a ton of not that they were like copying the content; they were copying the format. The format, yeah. And a lot of them had this waving hand, like an icon of a waving hand, and be like really? hi, and then waving hand. I'm blah blah blah, and I saw that over and over and over again. I was like, Oh my goodness, Why is everybody waving at me. It's weird. This is a resume, people. <laughs> Goodness. And they were doing that on their websites, too. And it, it was getting to be, like, a lot. And I don't know if people are being taught, like, here's how to rent your portfolio website where you first get to it. And it's just blah, blah, blah. I like sunshine and teddy bears and all this stuff. I'm like, I, I <laughs> long, don't care. Long walks on the beach. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm like, who's <laughs> teaching people to put this stuff in their portfolio. And, and I, I told someone, I gave someone this Uh, advice recently because they were asking about how best to do their resume and I said look don't overthink your resume when I look at a resume it's 30 seconds I'm looking for proof that you have some kind of education okay proof that you actually have done UX okay job 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 good boom that's just getting me in the door do you have a portfolio cool I'm going there I'm looking for proof some validation and then I'm going to your portfolio And then when I go to your portfolio, I'm spending probably 30 seconds to a minute because I'm busy. I'm looking again, (laughs) is this person worth talking to? And I go look for, I'm not going to read the about you and all that stuff. Even though I have an about me page and I have this lofty hope that someone is so enamored by how weird I am that they want to hire me (laughs) instantly because of that. And sometimes people do. If I get really interested in someone and someone's work, then I start getting more interested and I'll go down a rabbit hole. But for that first thing, I'm looking can right. you do the UXE stuff? Yes, yes. Okay, cool, right. cool, cool, cool. It's that fast. And I think people overthink their resume and they overthink their portfolio and they put too much stuff in their portfolio and their resume that just are irrelevant and they or or or, or just are annoying. There were several websites that had a bunch of motion on them that literally every oh, time man. I moved the cursor, the stuff was moving around. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just there goes the vertigo. I'm I'm ill, and I just leave. Because you, I can't deal with it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, don't annoy the person looking right. at your portfolio by trying to be super cute with a bunch of animations or you want to, like, brand yourself as being super hip and all this stuff. Man, keep that on an about page. Your homepage needs to be, I'm a UX designer. Show me what you can do. Get right to the matter and go, yes, you are a UX designer. Yes, yes, yes. You know how to solve a problem. You use the UCD. Blah, blah, blah. Cool, 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 cool. Gotcha. Get to the point. Leave all the fluff somewhere else. And then if people have time and are interested, then they can go and look at that stuff.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You make me think about four things. Here's my bounce. <laughs> Here's my jumping off stuff I wanted to share. Love everything. Just, I, I just got to echo some of it. So I'm just going to piggyback on a couple of your statements there. The first cut, got to remind people, when you apply for a job, you are not the only applicant. (laughs) (laughs) You are not the only applicant. There are other people besides you. (laughs) Remember that. And so you need to, I mean, people will say, to that, they'll say, what do I need to do to stand out? People write me. What can I do to stand out? Nothing. Be qualified. <laughs> yes. Be, well, what a novel idea. <laughs> be Have a strong value proposition. So you, when when you're looking at a stack of 300, 400 resumes, you're not going to stand out. It's paper. So you you want to have said something in your resume. You're not going to get it with the waving hand. You're not going to get it by having your picture on the resume. You're not going to get it by having some some goofy little thing that you think is cute. That's going to make you stand out. stand out isn't always good. It can stand out and cause your resume to go into the circular file as well. It's a business that you're trying to get a job at. So be a business person yeah. and present yourself in a professional manner. Even if you can be creative, in some places people want to see that. Uh, but you still have to remember, even if you're being creative, it's still a business. So don't forget that. So the first cut is associated with that resume. I, I asked some people once, Michelle, I, I said, let me, let me ask you a quick question. If you were to, to liken different aspects of the job search process to currency, what would you? how would you size your portfolio? Oh, that's $50. That's $50. I said, what about your resume? Oh, that's $5. I said, no, 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 no 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 this has never changed the resumes get interviews they don't get you jobs they get you interviews now the people and yes we know there's tons of problems we'll cover this throughout somewhere in this in this series of 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 episodes that hiring is is um it's a problem Today, the, the people that are doing the hiring don't always know what they're doing. Uh, Michelle just mentioned the job postings are God awful. Sometimes and a lot of times they're just copied from someone else's bad job posting. So and that's why you see how can I have an entry level position at once three years? Because the people who wrote it don't know what they're talking about. So don't worry about that. <laughs> it, it don't let that jade you is what I mean. Don't don't fall for the bitterness. A lot of people become bitter job seekers. And you don't want to become a bitter job seeker, especially being bitter because you're responding to silly stuff that's going on in the job seeking world because then you come into the interview with something on your sleeve. And and, and that's going to come out in the interview and you're going to disqualify yourself. So just know a lot of people are doing things wrong in the job, posting world, in the hiring world. You're going to see it. Just shake your head and move on. Don't let it change you. Still be professional. Represent yourself the best you can. And remember, again, the first cut. When there's 300, you have to call through them which of these people are going to be the best candidates. So you want to make sure that that resume is making a proper statement and is properly representing you. Don't lie. A lot of people are willing to lie to get into UX roles. That lie is going to be found out, and and you're going to be really sad about that. You're going to be embarrassed. So don't do that. Number two, you are competing. You're not, I'll reiterate what I said, you're not the only applicant. I'll leave the music off this time. You're not the only applicant and you are competing with other people. So represent yourself, have a strong value proposition with your representation and that's gonna go a long way. Something else that Michelle said, number three, this is so big to the point that I refer to this as a superpower. Matter of fact, in my UX job seeker manifesto, I believe I mentioned this as a superpower, following instructions. (laughs) A lot of job applicants simply don't follow instructions. I remember I was hiring for a, my company was hiring for a entry level, two entry level UX people, not one, two. That's gold to people who are trying to get in the UX game. And so I posted this job to UX. We got a couple hundred applicants uh, similar to what happened in two days, similar to what, what Michelle was talking about. But you know what? We should have had 400 applicants too. We didn't. You know why? Because people didn't follow instructions. I said, if you are interested, please shoot me a a message to let me know you're interested. And the reason I said that was because I could then take your name, put it in the system, and because you're coming through me, it was going to help you get an interview.
0: Yeah.
1: People just wrote to me and said, I'm interested. But I said, let me know you're interested, but apply. Here's the link. And I cannot tell you how many messages I got from HR say, when they went to 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 try to get the information on the person so that they could set up an interview. Darren, uh, this person's not in the system. Uh, Darren, this person's not in the system. Uh, Darren, this person's not in the system. Uh, it's like an old broken record from back in the day where records used to play vinyl and it would, it would the record would be broken and it would just keep repeating the same thing. Because a whole lot of people failed to apply. If you don't pl- apply, you—I didn't—I didn't apply for you. <laughs> it's, it's all you got to do is fill out the application, and you would have had an interview. We ended mm-hmm. up finding two people. We had two great applicants. To my knowledge, are still there at that company to this day. But the people who didn't follow the instruction—these people who were always saying, "I applied for a hundred jobs and I didn't get one." Were you qualified for those hundred jobs? that you apply for, did you follow instructions? I come across that so much. So to me, following instructions, and it doesn't matter where you are, I don't care whether you're entry level, senior, I don't care who you are, following instructions is your superpower. If you can follow instructions, you are lightening the load of everybody that's a part of that hiring process, and you wanna stand out, follow instructions. And and that goes a long way because there, man, oh, I, there were twenty applicants, but only one person followed instructions. Now that person is ahead of everybody now. So just interesting stuff that that uh, that I think about and everything you just mentioned there. Uh, and, and please empathize. I, I I get those. notes. somebody wrote to me one day, Darren. Hey, can you? Uh, I've been doing UX now for two years, and I think I have a really good, solid uh, grasp on what's going on in UX. Can you use somebody at your company to do some freelance work? I wrote back to the person. I said, wow, there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, you said that you've been doing UX for two years and you have a solid grasp. You know that's not possible, (laughs) right? (laughs) You can't have a solid grasp of UX after two years. So, okay, so you've already been red flagged. Uh, To me, you have been red flagged, number one. Number two, um, I work for a Fortune 200 company. We are not going to just have somebody who throws a note over the wall to ask if they can do some freelance work and then we're just gonna put them to work. It doesn't work like that. So you just told me that you don't understand how the business world works, especially when you get higher up the food chain with the Fortune 500 and such like that, Fortune 100. I work for a Fortune 100 company now. I work for a Fortune 75 company now. You're, if anything is done, it's going to be done by the book. There's All all of these companies have a ton of red tape. And, so, and, and even companies that aren't that big have a ton of red tape. But it, it's just amazing the things that people, the propositions that people make. And, uh, all in the name of trying to get work. And I really feel for you, Michelle, when you mentioned the people. I've had the same thing. Hey, do you, so do you hire remote? And to them, remote means that you can work anywhere in the world. Yeah, we work remote, but stateside. I've had to tell people that a lot, stateside. Well, are you going to offer? Then they just keep the conversation going. And, and I don't know if they think that all of a sudden you're going to change. Okay, I know you're in Cucamonga, but you can. No, it, it's, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's, no. We're not being no. mean. It's
0: just we don't control <laughs> yeah. reality.
1: And people just they're determined to force something to happen. And when I see that, I understand a person asking questions, but you also have to face reality. And the reality is that companies aren't gonna be doing things like that and you have to you have to ride with that. Keep applying. I wish you all the best in your journey, but nobody's gonna be able to change the rules just because you want us to. So that is grossly unrealistic and Frankly, people who are unrealistic have a hard time doing UX work. <laughs> because the stronger sense of realism you have, uh, the more grounded you're going to be, and, and the better yeah. you're going to be when it comes to uh, being flexible when you need to be flexible as opposed to forcing it on somebody. So just this is the tidbits that come to mind that you make me think about. So dynamite stuff, and I hope people take it to heart. Topic number two is similar. It is similar. I, I wanted to have a whole show dedicated to this. Um, it has to do with hiring. It has to do with people transitioning into UX, but it specifically, we want to spend some time talking about the PhD to UXR movement, the people who are coming out of academia and somebody told them, Hey, well, you can get work as a UX researcher. And so now there's these hordes of people that are coming directly from academia. They are equating academic research with UX research. It's not. Some of them are trying to turn UX research into academic research. It's not. Eventually, you're going to be found out, most likely by somebody at the C-suite level, is going to drop a bomb on you. (laughs) So you can either hear what we're about to say about this topic, uh, or, or you can continue to try to force feed people with something, and eventually they're going to bounce you. You, I'll say this before Michelle says her piece. UXR is UXR. UX research is UX research. It's about helping to validate. It's about helping to make discoveries. It's about just coming up with the actionable, trustworthy data that can help support our initiatives. And and it does not operate with the same cadence that academic research does it simply does not and people keep trying to make it that and it's wrong and and it's uh but I, i'm getting into it too much i i love some of the things that michelle said so michelle take it away on phd to uxr
0: so obviously i don't have a phd uh <laughs> i've got a super little mba which means <laughs> nothing um and i am not a researcher But one of the reasons why I joined the company that I'm at now is because they separate research from UX design and user Mm -hmm. interface design. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of the UX and UI folk. Um, We are hybrid, so we do both. Our researchers are called behavioral scientists because we try to hire people who actually have training, academic training, in behavioral scientists. My boss has a PhD in cognitive psychology, right? Right. Uh, So we have people who have master and PhD level training. We actually have someone right now who uh, used to be a rocket scientist. (laughs) I'm like, wow. So I'm impressed by the people we have. But here's the thing that we do that I think is really smart. While you do learn as an academic how to do the scientific method, you learn how to do hardcore research. That is not exactly what UX research is. You have to actually learn UX, you have to learn what it is to, you know, develop software and, and, mm-hmm. and the difference that is from I don't know, during I think my boss she did research where she showed us a photo where she had like electrodes or something on her head and they were trying to see like what was happening in your brain when you did certain things mm-hmm. um and like probes different parts of your head. Like that's very, very different than um, you know, doing a usability test or like asking. Uh, you know, talking to hundreds of people to try to understand their thoughts about X, Y, Z so you can design a better thingy for them, right? One of the things that we do is these people coming out of academia, they're either hired on as interns or as entry level Mm -hmm. and are trained how to do UX research. They're trained how to translate what they already know, that hardcore academic research and translate it into UX. We don't just hire them on you know, it doesn't matter how many degrees they have or how long they've been doing academic <laughs> research. They don't yeah. get to by step and right. come in as a lead, right? They come in as literal interns yes. and are trained. And yes. then they, you know, they over time get to go up. And I think that's what, that's great because we have really super smart people doing really good research, but the attitude that I think some people who have advanced degrees can have, you know, where, oh, just because you have a big degree, that means, you know, you get the bystep reality and get to get a big position or whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't have that at all. Everybody's very humble. They know what they know and they know what they don't know. And they're there to learn and to grow and to, you know, to keep getting better and better and better. And I think that's why we have such a great uh, behavioral science team. And, and we do research so well because of that. And I I don't know how other companies do it if the people who are transitioning from academia to UX research are just straight up doing a lateral move and are expecting, hey, I've been in academia for 20 years. I should be the director of research. My opinion is no, you shouldn't because you probably don't know anything about UX. You probably have no idea what it's like to actually build software, you know, or or any of the things that are around that. You need to learn that stuff because it's just not a one-to-one. So that's my spiel. That's about as much as I know about it, because I'm not actually a PhD or a researcher, but I've got that one little story, and now I'm done.
1: But that that's so powerful, though. And there were three things that stood out that I wanted to to echo back to to the listeners today. I loved how you said, these people are humble, and they know what they know, and they know what they don't. Yes. That's EQ, folks. That's a high level of self-awareness. So now you've removed that blockade that allow that they remove it that allows them to go forward full force and to just continue to grow and to continue to develop as as UX professionals. It's just fantastic because I I've observed a tremendous amount of entitlement. I have a Ph.D. therefore and no listeners out there. I don't have anybody in mind. I've come, I've come across a lot of people like this. Uh, I've come across a lot. There, I heard there was a group on Facebook uh, called a PhD to UXR. And, and you when you hear them talking, it's you hear the entitlement. You have every right. And I wish you all the best if you want to come into UX research. That's fine. But the fact that you have a PhD, I'm a PhD candidate right now. That doesn't entitle me to anything. It just means that I have a PhD. When when I'm done, I'll have a PhD. Um, but it doesn't mean that I automatically get to go somewhere. And and I see people who have PhDs who just they're all I'm this and I'm that. I, I told somebody once that uh, they have I don't I I I know the person had. History and academia, I don't remember whether or not the person had a PhD or not. So I can't really really say that about this one person that I observed. But the person was talking about, on their resume, they were talking about their research skill. And they were talking about, yes, I know how to use R. Okay, that's an analytics tool. Uh, I know how to use in vivo. In vivo is great for academic research. It's not going to help you when it comes to doing UX research. But it's great for qualitative. Okay, but what about the quant? Uh, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> you're, you're, you're stuck now. You don't wanna bring the academic world into the UX research world and then try to get people, a lot of people don't know what UX is. They don't know what they're looking at. They might believe you when you try to sell them on something. But if you sell them on something and then somebody else comes along and says, you know what, that's not UX research. Is this what your team is doing? That's going to be traced back to you. (laughs) And And now you've got to deal with all the fallout of that. UX research is different. It has completely different purposes, completely different methodologies. And you don't have, it's not as rigid from a timeline perspective as academic research. UX research sometimes had you got to flow you got to yes. pivot It'd be very you got it you thought pivot. that you were going to have three weeks and they cut it to two yeah. you and you well, they got,
0: don't show up to the interview yeah
1: I, I need time to do my research I've heard people say that before I need time well you're not gonna have it so what are you gonna do it is UX research that means that you need to take the disciplines the mindsets the techniques associated with UX and engage from a research perspective. The more you know about UX, the better of a researcher you're going to be. And if you're just coming from some research arena and you think that because somebody said that anybody can do it, you better understand what that means. That means that anybody can go and get the work done and learn how to do it. It doesn't mean that you just fall off the bus and you're doing UX research. That's not what it means. And uh, and so beware. I mean, misinformation and all types of of, uh, rose-colored glasses are being handed out everywhere with regard to research, so be careful with that. I love how you said that you're training folks. These folks, they're coming in as interns. Some of these people, that's beneath them. What do you mean that somebody's gonna hear this? What do you mean, intern? I have a PhD, yeah, and you don't have a job. Do you, want, <laughs> do you, wanna, do you wanna get trained? You know, don't, 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 don't get high and mighty. That doesn't work in UX either. This is a selfless discipline. I tell people that all the time. The more selfless you are, the more you can get done. So forget about who you are. You're qualified. Okay, great. You're hired. Let's go to work. While we're doing the work, we're not thinking about all that other stuff. Let's, do, let's follow our principles. Let's do what we need to do, and let's get the work done. We're not going to be sitting here in the project, and we're trying to overcome a hurdle. Oh, man, this is tough. What are we going to do? Well, Jimmy has a PhD. Nobody's going to say that. Yeah. So it, it doesn't have any merit at that point. Oh, and I got to say this too. Um, some, some people try to to sort of ride the coattails of their school from the perspective of, I mean, people literally want to be worshipped because they went to certain schools. Yeah. And we all know certain schools are very entitled. Uh, and yeah. I, I could I could rattle off about 10 schools, and I won't. Just know this one thing the school that a person went to has absolutely nothing to do with the work that your team is doing. Okay. So you went to university of Michigan. So our team is going to be better off now. We're in a, we're in a meeting with a client. The client needs an answer. Are you just going to take your paper out and show it to them? I graduated from university of Michigan and then drop the microphone. No, where you went to school doesn't matter. You could, you could go to Borneo tech. If, 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 as long as you know how to get the work done, just get the work done. You go to, I I hate University of Phoenix. People know that you go to University of Phoenix. We don't care. Get the work done. You're not a superstar because you went to a highfalutin institution. That doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. If you went to a highfalutin institution, I'm happy for you. I know they're happy for you because I know they charge you an arm and a leg. The, The more highfalutin your school is, the more you pay. But when it comes to getting the work done, let's just get the work done cuz where you went to school doesn't matter at that point. And I've seen people that have gone to associate's degree, community colleges and getting associate's degrees run circles around people with PhDs. So oh yeah, it doesn't definitely. matter. So let's just drop that. Let's drop that. It is what it is. It's a qualifier. It shows that you invested in your in your in your betterment. You you invested in yourself as a student. It means that you're disciplined. You're committed. I get it, but don't try to make it more than what it is. Is what I'm getting at. So, and I'm—I'll have a P. I'll be Doctor Doctor Hood soon if, if all continues to go the way we're going. But that doesn't mean anything. I do, I know my stuff though. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that, and but I knew it before I got the PhD. I knew it before I got the master's degree. Truth be told, I'd already been practicing X number of years before I did that. So I got that paper because people said, well, you don't have this. So I went and got it. Then, well, now you don't have that. So anyway. Oh,
0: I'm done with the paper. <laughs> I got my I got my paper, the last one, and I'm like, I'm done. I just yeah.
1: no. It just gets you past the paper police. <laughs> that's really that's really all it does. And we paid, we paid to get past the paper police. But we yeah. did the work too. And I enjoyed it. I, I had a great time. But yeah. training folks how to do UXR. When you have your PhD, know that you're not ready to do the UXR work until you get some type of training associated with it. And to build on that, my third point was that one of the biggest things that people coming out of PhD, coming from the academic world lack, is that they don't have knowledge of the business world.
0: Yep. That's what I wrote down here is business acumen. (laughs) Yep. Here's to this. me, one of the things that is missing across the UX discipline is people have no idea how what they do applies to yep. the companies they work for. Yep. And yeah, I've got the cute little MBA, and, and <laughs> I will say though that of all the schooling I've done, because so much of my job and an agency is, I'm part of pre-sales, I'm part of estimating jobs, I'm part of mm. proposals, right? Yep. Having business acumen matters for me. And I think as you move up in a position and in the UX world, you're going to be involved in decisions that meet, meet, indicate that you understand how your team's work relates back to your company. Yes. My teams are billable. We generate revenue. I'm hyper aware of that kind of stuff, right? Because this we pay for the non-billable folk, right? And the, and the more revenue we c- can bring in, the more we can hire, the more bonuses, all that good stuff. So, I'm glad I have the MBA, mm-hmm. but you don't have to get an MBA to have business acumen. And so I know I'm going off on a, t- on a tangent here. Oh, but that's good. That's I, I good. would recommend anyone, even if you're at the level one in UX, read some, some books out there on, on, this topic and start thinking about how what you do matters back to your company. One of the things I I tell people is when you're doing presentations to stakeholders and uppity ups and VPs, they don't give a rat's ass about empathy or about feelings or any of that stuff. They want to know how is this going to make mm-hmm. us money or save us money? How much does it cost? What's the return on investment? If you can say those things and speak about what you're doing in that place, you're gonna win yes. way more than if you go in and like talk about fluffy feelings and stuff because they don't care. Yeah, they, they don't.
1: don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, you made me think too about how I've been saying this for years. I spoke at the UX Strategy Summit back in 2015, I believe it was. And I talked about how UX is actually a leadership role. No matter where you could be entry level, you're doing some leadership oriented things. Yeah. As a UX person, and one of the things I mentioned on the same line of what you just mentioned there is that you have to learn how to speak exec. Mm-hmm. I remember being at the hospital one day, and the doctors came and talked to me, and they talked one way. And then they turned around and had a conversation between themselves, and their 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 language, their vocabulary changed. And I'm sitting there in the hospital, uh, and, and I'm like, wow, and I'm thinking UX, that, wow, that's how we talk. We can talk a certain way when we're talking to one another. But when we're conveying things to our stakeholders, to internal clients, we have to learn to speak in ways that resonate with them. UX our conversations. And so that business acumen at the PhDs, not just the PhDs, the academics that are coming in UX, a lot of UXers that, that weren't academic. We have to learn how to do that because whether you realize it or not, sales is a part of UX customer service is a part of UX, business strategy is a part of UX. And so when you come from that academic side, you don't know any of these things. None of those things are happening in the academic world. They're they're functioning in a completely different, on a completely different wavelength. And so you have to learn how the business world operates. And sadly, even for people that are not in UX, they don't get certain things. You end up learning a lot of these things on the fly or some kind of training that's happening in that organization. But as Michelle mentioned, there are articles, there are books, there are things that you can do that will help you to ramp up with your business acumen so you can be better at it. Because without it, you're going to struggle you're going to struggle. And when you come to talk to them, well, I looked up this, I analyzed this data in R and then I ran it through SPSS also. And I came up with these mediums and these means and, and I did this and I did that. And I, uh, you know, all you throw all this little technical jargon out there. It means nothing. Yeah. It means absolutely nothing. And and that's just the terminology, how they work, what's important to them. We need to know all these things. So these things are important, so i can't I can't stress enough how important it is that uh, not having the business acumen leads you at a severe disadvantage on top of the fact that anytime an entry level person is hired, um it's gonna be a while before you um you're being brought in, puts a company into black, so to speak from your individual perspective, so it's, it's like they're functioning at a loss while you are ramping up. So, the, again, the more you learn about these business things, the more you can shorten that timeline and you can start to bring value to the company on a consistent basis from their perspective, not from yours, yep. not from yours. So, awesome, awesome stuff. Topic number three, and our final topic <laughs> today,
0: Perfect.
1: team building and maturation. You were saying some phenomenal things about, how I love how your team is dedicated <laughs> To helping grow people uh-oh start laughing yeah uh how how the the thing that you do to help grow people and, and we need I, i'm gonna tell you folks now the vast majority of ux teams today are not led by former uxers they're not led by people who care about ux <laughs> they're not led about people that understand ux and a lot of times, I mean, Michelle mentioned it. She's been doing this work for 23 years. She's got her first management role. That doesn't make any sense. She should have been in a management role eight to ten years ago. Tops. The the or at least minimally. Because but today I've seen people who know nothing about UX and they get put into leadership roles. And the entire team suffers as a result. So, you know, my two cents before we even get into Michelle's part of this. Be aware that this is a thing. So you, you think that somebody's hiring for UX. Oh, I saw this great job on LinkedIn. I'm going to apply. And you're assuming that they know what they're doing. They may not. <laughs> Make sure you understand that. They may not. I see, you know, one quick flag. I'm going I'm to get off the beaten path for just a moment. I, I've been I always look at job postings, not because I'm looking, but because I mentor people all over the world and I want to know what the pulse is. In, in the world of UX. I want to know what's going on. And so I always look to see who's hiring. When you see the same company hiring for the same, usually leadership roles is where I see this being being violated the most. But I see it with other positions, not just leadership positions in UX. When you, but when you see, because that's where my head is today, I, I look there the most because I'm gathering data on UX leadership positions. When you see people hiring for the same exact position for a very long time, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Um, And a lot of companies, they don't know how to write job descriptions. We all know that. They don't know how to to hire either. They don't know how to interview. It's very seldom, like the, the positions that Michelle was talking about, because of the work they're putting into it, I highly expect that when you go in to interview with them, you'll have a real interview with a real job description that Michelle wrote herself. It wasn't written by, it wasn't copied from another terrible job description from off a glass door, Uh, and I've seen these. On the flip side of that, I think Michelle's is gonna be great. I worked at a company once that was, it was the best job description, the best written job description I'd ever seen in my life. I wanted to work at that company. It was Fortune 500 company. I wanted to work at that company. That Look at what they wrote. If this, this is what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be in love. I don't care. I was in a management position. I was coming out. I was going to be an individual contributor. I don't care. I'll go into that role. If this is what we're going to be doing, because I love UX, so I don't care. I found out that I went into the role the job was nothing like it, what it was in the job description. They just wanted to write a good job description. It was nothing like what it was in the job description. They hid people from me during the interview process because they knew, They and they confessed this, that if you had seen those people, you wouldn't have wanted to come here. Oh, what do you think I'm going to do now that I'm here? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> you know, so it it it, it, it it's a crapshoot, folks. It's a crapshoot. You just... And don't think that because, oh, this is a big company, they know what they're doing.
0: Uh,
1: not necessarily. So you think big name companies have a, have a high UX material level? Uh, they may not. You think they have good leaders. Uh, they may not. Uh, so so don't assume that. all you can do is apply. All you can do is go with what you see in that job description. If you get the interview, ask the questions. Remember, they're not just interviewing you. You're interviewing them. Make sure you ask the questions and, and don't just listen to the answers. Gaze them for honesty because companies will lie to you during the interview process. <laughs> they will bait and switch you. Darren, this is negative. No, it's called truth. It's called reality and you can either listen to me today, or you can you can have it happen and go, man, he was right. Which one's it going to be? Isn't it, Michelle? Isn't this happening?
0: Yeah, Out there. and I wrote down something, because based on what you said, that you should always, when you were interviewing, and it's one of the things that, that kind of drives me nuts, is at the end when I go, do you have questions? And they're like, no. And I'm like, that was Ooh. the wrong answer. Because this is a two-way street. Yes. You need to look me up. Look me up on LinkedIn. You should have. You should know who you're talking to. Yep. You should have looked up the company. You should look. I I look up. Man, I'm like a stalker, man. I'm looking up every person in <laughs> that company. I'm going to their personal websites. I want to understand, do I want to work here? What, what am I yep. getting into? I have questions. I want to understand, like, who do I report to? Who do they report to? What's the structure? How do y'all work with developers? I've got questions. If you don't have questions, that means you just want a job and don't really want care. A paycheck. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want people who just want a job, right? I want people who really want to be here and who know what they're getting into because not every job is the right job for every person. Right. It it doesn't have to be anything negative. It's just depending on who you are and what you care about and what you want to do, this job over here might be perfect for you and might be hell for me. And it's it's just the way it is. And you're yep. not going to know that unless you do some research and you ask questions so please when you do have interviews at the end when they say do you have questions have a crap ton seriously
1: (laughs) you remind me of i'm going to recommend a book to help people because some people struggle when it comes to uh formulating questions there's a book i absolutely love it it's called 60 seconds and you're hired the book doesn't cost much Go to Amazon, look it up. If you're like me, I love buying electronic books because I can carry my library with me everywhere I go. Yeah, and, and that book costs you little or nothing, but it gives you some really fantastic perspectives on asking questions during the interview process. And you can go through the questions they suggest and see which one of these resonate. Which one of these mean the most to you? Which one of these are things that I want to know? As an individual, and then so don't use it as a script. Look at what resonates, so you can be as genuine as possible during the interview process. I'm looking at stuff like that too. You know, I I don't want to hire. I don't know about you, Michelle. I, I don't the I call him bubbly, bubbly Joe or bubbly May. This overly bubbly person because people today think that they're going to get a job because they. They've got that culture. Hey, look at me. I'm bouncy around. Hey, look at me. I've got, can you do the work? Nobody cares how bouncy you are. That doesn't help get the work done. You know, being a rah-rah person and getting the work done, the person who, who's sitting there and quiet but can get the work done, guess who I want? I want the quiet person who's who's being pensive and who's strategizing and who's looking at how they can execute. That's the person that's going to get hired. So that's that's why the people who say what can I do to stand out? Those are usually the bubbly folks. What you want me to do? Backflips? You want me to do handstands? Which one you want me to? Want me to stand on one leg? I can do like coming to America. Whatever you like. No, don't don't no don't do that. You want to be you want to be the person that brings value.
0: Yes.
1: So, but back to we we so that's an insert. So team building and maturation. Let's get back to that. (laughs) We got on interviewing for a minute, but that's okay too.
0: Team building. Fair game. Fair game. Okay. Um, So, obviously, this is newish for me. I've been at this job since uh, late March. And so, it's the first time where I've really had the opportunity to help grow a team and, and help them mature into, you know, move away from maybe so much UI into more UX. And for me, one of the promises I made this team in the interview process, as I said, my goal is to make you better at UX. You're going to be better when I'm, when nice. I'm gone and I leave or you leave me, you're going to be better at what you do. And if I, if you're not, then I didn't do my job. Love it. So that is the promise I made. That's what I've been trying to do is, is work with every person on my team to see what do they know? What do they don't know? And what do they want to know? What are they interested in and want to grow in? And I'm trying to get them the resources to do that. Maybe it's recommending books. If it's recommended, believe me, I've been recommending you and Debbie all day long. I'm like, did y'all look at (laughs) Uh, that? I'm trying to get them in the right direction of to the right resources. We have the LinkedIn learning. We have the interaction Design better foundation, whatever. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm like, tell me where you want to go for, for uh, conferences and stuff. I'm trying to find ways to get people the training they need and you know i tr- when we have our one on ones one of my goals is you know what issues are you having right now what questions do you need me to answer what do you need more color to one of my my entry level people who came out of boot camp one of the things i love about her like i don't care that she came from boot camp i care that she is just on it she wants to know everything she's a sponge nice. Nice. she was like i don't understand um you know, the agile stuff, or I don't understand. Like we were, I was having like a nerd conversation one time talking about like big data and how maybe we need to have like a script run at night that gathers this data and all this stuff. She had no idea what I was talking about. It went completely over her head. And so she wanted to understand what I was talking about. And could I please go over some of this nerd stuff with her? You know, uh, that's what I'm looking for on, on a team is people who are just sponges and they want to mm-hmm. learn stuff. Um, So that's what I've been working on, is trying to work individually with everyone on my team to find out, you know, what's their learning style. Some people like books, some people like videos, some people want to go to in-person training. So I'm trying to do that type of thing. And as far as like team building as a whole, like from a culture perspective, I, I'm a pretty casual person, you know, I, I you know, I, I told my team, I was like, look, I'm ridiculous as a human, but I know stuff. So, you know, s- stick with me. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I can't hide that I'm ridiculous. Um, but I try to in our team meetings have, you know, we we get to brass tack. we talk about the important stuff. And then the last part of our team is always like something ridiculous. Like yesterday we were talking about our favorite karaoke uh, songs or like ridiculous songs that you're embarrassed that you love. I try to do that type of thing so that they communicate with each other and bond because we're remote, right? So we have that added level of how do you have culture with a remote team who have never met each other for a large degree. I have never met anyone on my team yet, and I I can't wait to actually meet them in person. So trying to figure out how do I grow them individually, but as a team remote, you just, you have to put the time in and you have to put the FaceTime in and you can do FaceTime as a remote person. You know, there's nothing wrong with Zoom or whatever it is. You can have the same type of relationship that you would have, you know, sit in an office. I've done the office thing for 20 years, right? I feel like I'm closer to the people I work with now, completely remote, mm-hmm. than I was ever being surrounded by people all the time, yeah. and we're more productive because we're not being driven insane by you know people walking around and yapping all day long, right? You know, <laughs> yes, I did have to turn off recently my notifications for Slack because the constant bleep, bleep 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 that a, something was coming through was making me a little psychotic, <laughs> and I was like. Um, but I went off on a tangent, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. Not
1: no, no, speech. it's a good point. No, you, everything you said, everything you said was dead on point. You made me think about one thing. I'm going to point this out too, for whatever it is this is off the beat, the beaten path. Don't micromanage. <laughs> don't micromanage, it, especially when you're you're asking somebody who's like churning out work at yeah. a really high level. Um, no, don't don't do that. So to I me, mean, that's a that.
0: failure automatically. If you even feel the need to micromanage, you have a massive failure on yes. your team and in your organization. Yep.
1: And people don't realize, folks. Here, here's a last little tidbit before we go into our close for today. That kind of stuff causes attrition. Yep. And attrition costs money. UX roles in the Midwest starting salary for a an entry level UX person was in the mid seventies which is why the gold rush came into UX because they're, ooh, ooh really? And then somebody said, anybody can do it. Ooh, ooh really? And then, anyway, we won't go there. It costs a minimum of $40,000 to replace somebody. Think about that. When you do things that cause people to leave, don't, there needs to be training, Michelle on how to offset attrition on how to minimize and eliminate attrition because with this leadership issue that we have in UX today and, and we, we're in the, the, the great resignation that everybody was talking about, I'm sure somebody did some report somewhere to calculate how much it was costing companies because the higher the salary of the person's being replaced, higher the cost is at replacing them. Oh, yeah. And we're not even talking about the lost knowledge that goes out the door. We're talking about the HR efforts that go into the buying the new equipment and all these other different things that play a role in that. And and you usually don't think about this kind of stuff unless you're in management. But if you want to understand the landscape, that's what we're talking about, the hiring, managing, and job-seeking and job, job seeking landscape of UX, you might not be responsible for this Oh, but it wouldn't hurt you to know about it. Attrition costs money. Employees that cause attrition cost money, and I see com- I see companies putting up with people who are the who are the cause of, of attrition. Oh, I've been with the company for fifty years. That's because you know I've been here for five thousand years because you can't go anywhere else. And, and, and how many people did you run out of the company? Don't tell me how long you you've been here. <laughs>
0: At large corporations. I think that's why some of these people wind up not ever getting removed because it's so difficult yeah. to actually get someone fired. Um, yeah. So you you do wind up having stuff like that. Where yeah. You have dinosaurs who need to go away, and and <laughs> not, and when I say dinosaurs, I'm I'm not like being ageist. I mean people right. who just either they have some kind of tenure. And so they think they're untouchable or, you know, maybe they just literally act like dinosaurs and are eating people. But in any case, uh, because they haven't done something so egregious, that's an immediate, like you're fired thing. um, It is very hard to get rid of people um, without like mountains of proof and stuff like that. So
1: that is awesome. Well, I hope folks found this helpful. I'm sure you will Uh, hang in there. Keep pressing forward. Always be committed to being your absolute best in UX, and and you'll you'll be happy for it, and the discipline will will reward you. It's been good to me. It's been good to Michelle. It's been good to a lot of people we know. If you're good to it, it'll be good to you. So I highly encourage you to always strive to put your best foot forward, and and, uh, just be on the lookout for your returns and that's it but thanks for joining me today Michelle thanks for joining me me. loved it these topics are fantastic of course you know we'll end up coming back around to this topic again later more than likely but uh, thanks for taking the time to join us on the day and sharing your wisdom with the audience and uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off here after your parting words what parting words do you have for the audience today
0: oh no I'm on the spot (laughs)
1: Oh, I got to. I got to ask for parting words. I can't. I can't just abruptly go off.
0: Follow directions. Um, <laughs> yeah, follow directions. Ask questions, and um, uh, don't be a jerk. How's that? Yeah.
1: Yes. That. That's big. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that today too.
0: <laughs> don't be a jerk
1: again more wisdom more wisdom from the ux community so again thanks again michelle but folks it is time to sign off so thank you again for taking the time to listen to the world of ux today folks it's time for truth to go viral tell your friends about the podcast this is a show that will help them to vault them forward in the discipline uh and we we uh be uh, forever grateful for you in doing that so Until next time, it is time to sign off, folks. So this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, wishing you the same as always. Happy UXing, everybody.
0: Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.